Today we are working on Savlanut. Ah, okay, beautiful. Thank you all for being here. And uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Lauren's going to take it away. Great. Hi, everybody, again. Thank you for being here. All the familiar faces. It's good to see you. Welcome back, Randy. Uh, let us begin. Let's just dive right in. Uh, going through the first six or so midot, just a little bit of review as we've been doing. Um, let us start with Heat Lamdut. Heat Lamdut was the first midah that we, that we studied, this beginner's mindset. We were always learning. Uh, anava, we called it humility, taking up the proper amount of space, knowing our limits, but also when we need to take a step back and lead or raise our voices. This is actually going to come up today in particular with the Midah of Savlanut, or patience, we can call it that. Then we turn to gratitude, way back when, noticing the good, verbally offering thanks for that good, and then repaying that good somewhere in the world. We learned about Zrizut, this enthusiasm to act, to get up and go, to stay focused on a task, and then also to do it from a place of love and enthusiasm. We turn to Kavod, to honor, to respect, to uh, the weightiness, the, the literally the kvedut, the, the weightiness of a human being, recognizing that weight of somebody else, uh, the divine image in another person, and acting on it, treating others and ourselves in a dignified way, seeing people beyond their physical shell, uh, and piercing deeper into the divine essence of other people and appreciating that essence. And then finally, last week, we turned to chesed, chesed, which was more than just loving kindness, but actually loving, loving kindness, acting lovingly with loving kindness. It's not just a, a box to check off. It's not only about the act of doing a kindness, but it's actually how we do that act. When we give of ourselves, we talked about how, how chesed is actually a spectrum as well, like many of the other midot, that, that, there's, a, that there's a balance, right? Sometimes we are very apathetic, Sometimes we're very fearful of losing, whether it's our material resources or our time, and therefore we do not give at all. And then sometimes we are so giving, perhaps even too giving, to the extent that we impoverish ourselves either materially or, or emotionally. We can't overdo chesed. Some of us need to practice more chesed and move away from the apathy, um, sort of raise our eyes in a sense. And others, uh, maybe we need to give a little bit less um, it's a little hard to say, but, but that's the truth. Um, and we noted that according to Rav Dessler of Eliyahu Dessler, that one of the meanings of divine image, of Telemelokim, to be in the divine image, means to be a giver, the capacity to give. God is the ultimate giver. And so too, we too can be givers. And we noted especially that, that we are to be givers, not takers, but taking is different from receiving. We're supposed to be givers and receivers, to take something is, is to feel entitled to that thing that comes into my hands and to not feel grateful for it. But if I receive it with love and gratitude, such that I don't feel like I have this ultimate ownership over it, I'm receiving that. So we talked about being a giver, the divine image of, of giving. And that was our, our discussion about chesed. And today we're turning to a midah, which as I mentioned, is related to some of the other midot that we've discussed so far. And as we've said in our previous Musar sessions, Musar focuses on traits that are not just great virtues to possess for ourselves, but that also are aimed to help us in our relationships with ourselves, with others, and with God. One of the most important midot in forming and protecting relationships, I think we can all, most of us might agree with this, is the one we will cover today. This is the one which in Hebrew is savlanut, uh, and that's oftentimes translated as patience. For any of us in any type of relationship, I think we've all felt our patience being stretched at times and also know the importance of practicing it as well. Etymol etymologically speaking, if we just want to go with that word patience, I actually think it's a fantastic way to translate the word savlanut. Although I'll be honest with you, the word savlanut or to be sovel came before I believe this word patience. So I'm not sure which came first, the chicken or the egg. I'm inclined to say the Hebrew came first. So let's assume that the Hebrew uh, actually inspired uh, the English word, or perhaps it was originally Latin, uh, for this word uh, patience. If we could summarize this word patience in four words or savlanut, I would say they would be four words. Bear with me, please. 
I would say, bear with me, please. Those are the four words I would say if that's going to be our catchphrase. As I said, it's oftentimes translated as patience. Um, and if patience was important during ancient and medieval times when it would take days, weeks, months to receive a letter, then I think it's all the more challenging today in our culture of texting and smartphones and Amazon Prime, all blessings if you ask me. But there's this norm of instant gratification uh, and the anxiety we feel when we don't get it. And of course, there's the classic marshmallow, uh, the marshmallow test. Can you really delay gratification, take the wait for two marshmallows instead of eating that one at this very moment? Uh, the practice of patience is, is good for children and it's certainly good for adults, whether modern, medieval, ancient, uh, but certainly today. Um, and so also more very unique to this moment, I would say, is when masks are uncomfortable and we miss human contact, there's this feeling like, okay, enough already, enough. This thing has been such a burden. I'm ready to just throw it off and move on, right? Take off the mask or, you know, get rid of the restrictions. I just, enough already. Let's move on. Um, so Savlanut, which we'll call patience, is, is very relevant to, uh, today without a doubt. And as I said, it's a great translation. And here's why. So the word patience actually comes from the word, which means the quality of being willing to bear adversities, calm endurance of misfortune, suffering, etc. So we're on the right track here. Savlanut also comes from the word sevel, which literally means to bear, like a porter to bear a weight, like bearing something on someone's back. That's literally what sevel or the root for savanut means. So it means to bear. And the very word patience, not considering the Hebrew at all, also suggests this bearing as well. The word patience with its, with its association with, with calm endurance also tells us that patience isn't begrudgingly holding on to a weight and just smiling and holding in this, you know, very deep frustration and just not acting on it, it actually is supposed to be done calmly and with endurance, meaning that sometimes we're going to have to bear this weight for a while. Things take time, process uh, over outcome. In fact, um, uh, there's, a, there's a teaching that, that Moses, when, he, when Moses was called by God to save the Jewish people, Moses said, no, 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 don't take me. Take, you know, the, I'm not the one here. Go with Elijah, Elijah the prophet. He'll take care of it. Chick chuck, easy stuff. Oh, you know, over and over and done. Uh, but in fact, no, uh, Elijah was not the Elijah is sort of the last step of the whole process of redemption. It actually starts uh, with Moses, and we haven't even seen Elijah yet in our days. So we patience and process is very much a, a Jewish value, um, and the the ability to endure a, a weight and an, a sense of uncertainty and an incompletion over time. That itself is, is part of this very word, patience. Something interesting to know, patience and passion, I believe, are also related. To pa Passion literally means suffering. And compassion, therefore, means to suffer together. So when I have compassion for somebody, I'm willing to suffer with them. I'm willing to suffer with them. And we're gonna, that's going to be one of our, our patience practices later on. One thing we can learn from this word patience is it's not a pleasant experience to bear this burden. It's a burden after all, but it's to be done with grace, with a calm demeanor, even when it's painful. Patience doesn't come easy. It's not always a comfortable experience. And as a midah, as a trait, it needs to be developed. And the experience of practicing patience itself might at times feel like a burden in and of itself. So what can our Musar learning help to contribute to our understanding of, of savlanut, or, uh, savlanut or patience. So first of all, some midot are developed by focusing on others that are related to it. In our case, what oftentimes gets in the way of savlanut, of patience, is ego. In other words, a lack of anava, a lack of humility. The feeling that I, Lauren, am the center of the universe, that the things need to run on my timetable, on my schedule, it's my time to speak. This is my area of expertise. I should be the one speaking about it. And this lack of humility, this true centering of oneself, this self-centeredness, it's a sense of entitlement and it sets us up for failure when things don't go our way. And they're not gonna go our way because that's not how the world works. 
the world. I, I am one small piece. I, I might have the divine image inside of me. And so I'm, I'm infinitely valuable, but I'm still one person in this grand world. And if you've ever traveled around the world, you know how big it is and how small uh, we are. Um, so to expect that the world should, you know, operate according to our needs um, is, 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 is setting us up for failure. And of course, when things don't go our way, if we assume they should, it leads to anger and frustration. And this image of anger, of blowing up, is like taking this burden that we're bearing, this, that we're doing savlanu, we're bearing this burden, that we're taking it off of our backs and, slow, and slamming it down on the ground, or using the force of our body to just throw it off of us. But if bearing it, an uncomfortable load or burden calmly is savlanut, anger is the exact opposite. And if anger is sometimes caused by a sense of entitlement and ego, then the midah to work on to avoid such anger and rather practice patience is, uh, and practice savlanut is anava, is this, is this sense of humility. If we remember, anava challenges us to take up the proper space that's appropriate for our roles and our knowledge and not more and not less. And there are times when we're called to bear a burden in order to increase peace in relationship with other people. There are times when that's absolutely not our role, nor is it appropriate. There are limits to what we can or should hold, especially when we're talking about issues of justice. But bearing a burden and holding our tongue is sometimes within our role as students, as children, as roommates, as employees. And it's these times where savlanut is all the more important. Pirkei Avot actually lists 48 ways through which the Torah is, is acquired. And one of those is bearing a burden with others, is sharing someone else's burden with them. We're not going to go into the depths of that, of that teaching, but to think that, that practicing savlanut of bearing burdens, uh, our own and others, actually is a way to acquire the Torah. And if any of us have ever studied Torah before, I know we are here, um, Torah doesn't always come easy. Patience is, is, part, of the, is part of growing. Um, it's part of growing in Torah. A lot of Torah can feel really great, but a lot of Torah is also very challenging. And to be able to be patient with Torah, that helps us uh, to, to, to acquire it in a way. I should say that not all anger is bad. There is a teaching of Maimonides that we should not have any anger at all, where I think we're going to see a teaching later on that actually Maimonides, Rambam, says that there is actually a, a happy medium of healthy anger. But in activist circles, there's something called hot anger and cold anger. Hot anger is out of control. It's a raging fire. It's uncontrollable. It's destructive. It does not address or solve for any of the issues which brought it about. It's a raging fire. This fire, it's, it's blazing and it doesn't offer any warmth. That's hot anger. And that's not the type of anger that we're trying to embrace in Musar. There's also cool anger. And this is much more controlled anger. It comes from a place of grief and hurt and the desire for love and connection. This cool anger, it's firm, it's firm, it's directed, and it's constructive. Patience, in other words, does not demand passivity. Not at all. Patience is partnered with cool anger. I want to just repeat that, that patience is partnered with cool anger. This doesn't mean that, that we always need to be angry. God forbid that we should always be angry. Um, but when that, what, but that we can be angry and patient at the same time, they're not mutually exclusive. It's just the type of anger that we're trying to embrace. And that is this cool anger. Patience is not apathy on one end, nor is it rage in the middle. It's nor, nor is it rage on the other side. It's somewhere in the middle. So one can rebuke Somebody else, we've talked about this in our past sessions, one can rebuke somebody else or rebuke a whole system without tearing it down and trying to burn it to the ground and burn everything in its path. Anger can be embraced and adopted to constructive ends. It's when we lose control that such anger needs to be reeled in. And that's the type of control that the sages, the type of anger and rage that the sages say is, is like idolatry. It's like idolatry. We lose our sense of, of who we are and what our values are. Returning to Savlanut, the way Rav Wolby puts it, Rav Wolby, our friend, our teacher, Ale Shur, the way he puts it is as follows. What is Savlanut? The Savlan, the one who, who embodies Savlanut, is similar to one who bears a heavy load. And even though it's heavy on them, 
they continue to go on their way and they do not tire of bearing it. There's that endurance we talked about earlier and the common endurance that we talked about. Such is with all relationships among human beings. We see and hear many things, Ravobi says, which don't sit well with us that are not according to our desire or our will. And despite that, with those people, we remain friends. Worse than this, that's how I translate it, is worse than this. I'm not sure if that's the right way to translate it. Garu Amize, he says, a friend really offends us, whether with a simple sting or an unreasonable demand or an unfounded claim. All of these we bear, truly like bearing a heavy load. Blowing up with anger or a strong rebuff is like throwing off this weight. The Savlan, the one who has Savlanut, does not throw off the burden of a great friendship. We don't throw off the burdens of friendship. It's interesting to think about friendship as a, as a burden in a way. The word for, for literally the word chaver, or, or it comes from the word chabura. Chabura literally is a wound. Chabura is, a, is like a bruise. It's a, it's a, the reason why where that word comes from in the Mishnah is it's a, it's a, it's a, a bruise is a collection of blood, right? When we get injured, I believe all the blood uh, you know, accumulates and that's how we get a bruise. And it's from that word, chabura, this collection, this collection of wound that we actually get friendship. So friendships are, are beautiful and they're painful at times. They can be a burden. And it comes from the very word of chabura, of chaver, of this bruise, of this, of this collection. Worse than this, again, he says, garu amizeh, we see a friend sinning and yet we remain good friends. I say worse than this, but it's, it's good. And here, there's a place for caution, zihirut. It's forbidden to let savlanut bring us to apathy. God forbid, we said. A sign that we see should bring us tremendous pain. And to the extent that the sin is close to our heart, excuse me, a sin that we see should bring us tremendous pain. And to the extent that the sin is close to our heart, it should, um, what is it here? Uh, it should pain us more. It should pain us more. And despite this, we demonstrate savlanut with our friends as an actual heavy load. We must rebuke, but this is also bearing their sin, but from a place of love without anger. That's how Ravobi describes Savlanut, bearing from a place of love, not bearing from a place of anger. And Rabbi David Jaffe, more, more modern contemporary Musar thinker, a teacher of mine, he has a nice activist touch, and this is going to sort of uh, uh, remind us of some of the things I've said already earlier today, that this is the work of Savlanut, to root our anger in grief. We need to be able to bear grief, to sit with it and not push it away too quickly. The root of explosive anger is the inability to bear emotional discomfort, meaning patience, savlanut, is bearing emotional discomfort. When we are struggling to do that and let it go, we get to explosive anger. Grief is extremely uncomfortable, Rabbi Jaffe says. It's much more emotionally satisfied in the short term to let the anger explode out rather than sit with feeling so bad. Yet, whether the anger is turned outward or inward, the inability to bear grief leads to destructive outcomes. The key to bearing grief or any difficult emotion, he says, is connection. Connection to ourselves, to others, and to God. Cultivating these connections is the work of Savlanut. And we're actually uh, going to see a text where Moses reminds God of God's connection to humanity and to the Jewish people. And when reminded of that connection, God's patience returns. So connection actually um, is when we, when we feel like we're not connected to other people, when we don't have connections, that's actually when our, our midah of patience uh, needs to be worked on most. In life, as we all know here, I'm sure, there are no shortages of frustrations, stressors, unreasonable expectations, as Ravulbi points out, or unexpected events that cause a chain reaction of delays in our schedule, where the tea kettle just won't boil in time for that meeting and I really want to drink my tea during my meeting, where, where food takes longer to arrive at the restaurant than I think it should. Things just don't always go our way. And again, why should they? The sages claim, the rabbis of the Talmud say, olam kimin hago noheg. And in context there, it's a little bit different, but the way I'm interpreting that is that things happen that are not in my control, right? That's most things. I can control some things, I'm not helpless, but 
But for everything I can control, there. But even for the things I can control, there are many, many factors that could change that in an instant, right? Stress in these moments can sometimes inspire us to move to action, to move the ball up the field. But but too much stress often leads us to 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 anger, and that just sets us back. Savlanut. Uh, I should say that that olam kimin hagonoheg that the world follows in its own path. I think the important part is its own path and not my path. It's not olam kimin hagi noheg. The world goes in my you know the way I want it to go. No, the world does its own thing. The world charts its own course. It's not mine. There's the world is much much bigger than I am. Savanu reminds us that we're not in control, that there's a higher power, that we can do our best, but we have to let God do the rest. And that there is space in this world for other people and their values, habits, and worldviews that are not like mine. And in the same way that practicing anava, humility, makes space for others and for God, Savanu does that and helps us endure when it feels uncomfortable doing that. And when we sense that actually this other person doesn't deserve that space and I want it my way. Savanut helps keep our anava, I would say, um, as a more pleasant experience. It's one thing to take our steps, you know, or take ourselves out of the, you know, to put ourselves on the bench or to put ourselves uh, on the field to play. Um, but, but Savanut helps us do that in a way that feels more pleasant. And so that it, it, is, it is a burden and it's still painful, but, but we're doing it calmly. So think of all the people in your life or the times in your life where impatience, where wanting things to be your way on your time. And when your impatience at not getting those things has exploded, a spouse might come to mind where you just, you know, couldn't take it anymore. Perhaps children, parents, roommates, teacher, a student you were teaching and they just couldn't get it. And it was really frustrating. There's no shortage of relationships where the midah of savlanut, of calmly bearing an uncomfortable burden comes in handy. All relationships are accompanied by some burden of some kind. Savlanut allows us to navigate the differences. And I think what's interesting is that anyone can have savlanut. Anyone can have anger too, no matter who's more powerful in a given situation. Who's more powerful, a student or a teacher, a parent or a child? I would imagine if we've all played those roles in some way, we've oftentimes felt like the other person had the upper hand or had more control in some ways. Perhaps the teacher is the one who puts together the material, but if the students aren't learning, that might really frustrate the teacher. The student might feel like, you know, they they have to sit in class. Uh, you know, this I think it really goes either way. And, and parents, I think, know very well uh, the power that a child can have over them and their well-being. Um, and oftentimes, a, a child feels like the same way that their parents actually have much more control over them. In on in either way, no matter sort of which role you're playing, it's easy to become impatient with somebody else and lose control. And similarly, either one can bite their tongue, breathe, and let the other person speak or act. Like the other Mido we've discussed throughout our time together, Savlanut is something that God embodies. God is patient. God is a sovel. God bears burdens. Last week, we said God is Rav Chesed, Rabbi Chesed, Rabbi Kindness, abundant in kindness. God is so kind. But right before that descriptor, God is described as rachum and erchapayim, compassionate and slow to anger. What is slow to anger if not one mode of patience in Savlanut? Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, 16th century Israel, in his magnum opus, the Tomer Devorah, literally the date palm of Deborah, he, which is about imitating God. It's a Musar work. There's a lot of Kabbalah in it too. He begins his book, about how to imitate God's traits with Savlanut, which I think is an interesting choice. He says like this, and it's, and it's beautiful. Who is like you, God? He's quoting. This teaches us the reality of God as a derided king who suffers insult, 
There is nothing hidden from God's watch. There is not a moment in which a human being is not sustained from the flow of divine abundance. Think of the air supply, right? God could cut off the air supply at any minute, cut off our life support. And it's been, it's been a long time that God's been, that God's been around much longer than you or I have been around. There's not a moment in which a kind, in which a human being is not sustained from the flow of divine abundance. There's not a wrongdoing that a person does in which at the same moment, the divine abundance isn't sustaining them as long as we breathe. While the human is committed, committing this, this wrongdoing with this very power from God, God suffers the insult. God bears the insult. Don't think that God doesn't have the power to stop the human from the wrongdoing by cutting off the flow of divine abundance. This is why Micah the prophet calls to God, who is like you, God? You are a God of kindness, doing good. You have the power to take vengeance. You have that power, God. We've seen it done. We've seen it in the Torah plenty of times. But you, God, are patient and wait for people to return into Shuva in repentance. God's waiting. God's waiting thousands of years, millions of years, billions of years, right? For, for humans and other creatures to come back in Shuva as imperfect as we all are. God's still holding on. Behold, says Rev Cordovero, this is the midah that people need to acquire, savlanut, to be able to withstand insult and still keep their good flowing to the other. Of all the traits, God, of all the traits we should imitate, Rabbi Cordovero starts with this one, masavlanut. Moses too is described as someone with savlanut or a savlan. We saw this text, I think, in our second session on Anava, and we'll, we'll return to it. But of course, we could challenge this very idea. Is Moses really patient? We saw he's humble. Is he really patient? He hits the rock when he's told to speak to the rock to get water. He beats up and kills an Egyptian taskmaster. No diplomacy there. Just, right? Yes. These are, these are, these are a few incidents of many. If that was an expression of finally throwing off the burden uh, off of one's back, there are plenty of other times Moses could have been upset and wasn't, or when he could have expressed fury, but instead, like his breaking of the tablets, when he saw the Israelite people worshiping the golden calf, those tablets, that destruction, that I would say cool anger, actually expressed a righteous, constructive anger and patience. Where do we see Moses as actively being described as patient? In this echo of, uh, of our session on Anava, we return to the verse that describes Moses as being the most humble person on earth. Rashi understands that being a humble person here means being shafel vesavlan, literally lowly and forbearing. And I think these two words go together. One who is forbearing is willing to lower themselves down for the moment to allow someone else to put that burden on them. If you think of uh, whether you're going to put somebody on your shoulders, you need to kind of, you know, bend down, right? Bend your knees, they can put on your shoulders. Similarly, the shafel, the shafel bends down so that they can become the savlan, so that they can bear the burden uh, of responsibility or discomfort um, of, of other people. And how, how does he hold the burden of the people or the burden of Torah with savlanut? On a simple level, Moses sticks with this grumbling, divided group from their days of infancy, some literally infants, uh, others by virtue of their being newly emancipated slaves without any history of agency. They were children uh, for all intents and purposes. And they complained a lot through their 40-year journey through the desert. Despite all the setbacks and the complaints and the lack of faith they had, sometimes in Moses, other times in God, but Moses stuck with them until the end, even though Moses didn't want this job in the beginning, right? To take Elijah, take Elijah the prophet. No, Moses stuck with them until the end. Even when Moses himself was not going to enter the promised land with them, he still made sure that they, that they were taken care of when they were to go into the land of Israel. We also see Moshe, Moses, as a savlan with respect to his sister Miriam, which is where this verse comes from about Moses being the most humble. When Miriam, his sister, criticizes him for marrying a Kushite woman. Can you imagine? It shouldn't be too hard to imagine. Has a sibling or a loved one ever criticized your choice of a partner or your choice of friends? 
or your, you know, has a parent ever, ever criticized you for the friends that you, that you have or the company you, you, uh, you surround yourselves with? It can be very upsetting. And it's in this moment that Moses is called Shafel Savlan, the most humble, the most lowly, the most forbearing person on earth. In this image, some people will compare it to the match being struck in that split second, split second before the flame erupts. Moses feels the match being struck against the matchbox. He feels the pressure. He feels the friction. He acknowledges it, but he does not let the match ignite. The way Viktor Frankl puts it is between stimulus and response is a gap, is a space. And in that gap is where we express our freedom. In this case, that's Savlanut. We're able to recognize when we feel a burden, when we feel that tension, that, that friction, and we don't throw it off. We don't, we don't get ignited. We remain calm. Moses, as the Talmud expresses, is ne'elav ve'ena olev. He's offended. He's offended. No denying that. But he does not retaliate with, with equal offense. He's offended, but he doesn't offend. It's completely normal to feel offended and upset. In fact, it demonstrates kavod. Back to our midav kavod. It demonstrates kavod for ourselves and for others when we are willing to say, hey, that's not okay. I'm offended by that. I'm not, I'm not deserving of that, of, that, of that harsh critique or that insult. But Savlanut challenges us to acknowledge that pain and refrain from responding to it in kind nonetheless. That initial negative energy is enough for the world to handle. There's no need to inject more into that, into that atmosphere. I'm going to say, though, by, by an aside, I don't think we're going to see this um, uh, in the, its original, although uh, on, this, on this presentation, you do have it towards, towards the slides from the Talmud in, in Yoma, the tract of Yoma. It actually says that a, that a scholar in Hebrew, I'll say it because it sounds so nice. Talmud chacham she'eno nokem benoter kenachash, eno Talmud chacham. A scholar, a wise sage, a student who does not retaliate and bear a grudge like a snake is not a real sage, which is striking because we're told in the Torah, first of all, we don't like snakes. Second of all, the Torah tells us that we're not supposed to bear grudges or retaliate or take revenge. And yet the Talmud is saying, actually, there are times when we do need to resist, retaliate, bear a grudge, take revenge like a snake. Now. As an interesting aside, the word for snake in Aramaic is chivya, chivya, which sounds a lot like chava, which sounds a lot like life. So in a sense, and I believe it's, a, it's called a, is a catechist. Is that the medical, uh, the rod with the snakes around it? I believe it there's, there's, there's an association with snakes and healing. Uh, so in a sense, when we do retaliate, when we do express that righteous, cool anger, it should be Kinachash, like chivya, like life, meaning our end should be towards creation, construction, towards life, not towards destruction. Um, it's sort of flipping the snake on its head a little bit. Okay, so that was, an aside, that was a side note about anger, about nachash, um, and actually how there are times when we do need to stick up for ourselves and fight. There are times for that. It's just about how we do it that makes all the difference. As another side note on this topic of Miriam, Miriam herself, even though in this sense, in this particular text, she's the one that we're critiquing because she insults Moshe, she herself is a model of Savlanut as well. The Mishnah, the Mishnah in the Tractate of Sota says that since Miriam, after Moses, baby Moses went down the Nile, she waited a whole hour just watching, waiting, for, waiting to see what would happen to Moses, whether he'd be saved or not. And because she waited, she had savlanut, she waited patiently. It's because of that, that after that, that the Israel, that the people of Israel actually waited for her. She was, she was struck with leprosy after she insulted Moses. And it took seven days for her to move from this, 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 uh, this uh, infirm state to a pure state. And because she waited for Moses, B'nai Yisrael waited for her to recover from her illness before moving on uh, through their journeys. So there are times when Miriam was great at Savlanut too, and other times where maybe she could have held back on that critique, sharing that critique with Moses. 
And now back to God. As we said, God behaves similarly with Bnei Israel. God promised us that God will not abandon us, even when the going gets tough, even when God doesn't punish us. And maybe even when God loses, God's cool too, that happens. God sticks with us. God loves us unconditionally. And maybe, maybe God feels the love and maybe we feel God's love sometimes more than others, but the baseline commitment is there. Can you imagine the number of years that human beings have been around, all the mishugas, all the nonsense that God has had to put up with? Our mistakes, our lapses in faith, present party included, our rebelliousness, sometimes temporary, sometimes long-term, and yet we believe or we want to believe that God is still there, hoping that we will come back eventually. That's Savlanut, staying connected even when things are heated and when we need to express strong emotions. One, and, and as I said earlier, you know, one way I heard about it was sort of the air supply model, that God never cuts off our air supply. And seen this way, if impatience is, is a cutting off of air supply in a way, or, or a, 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 a disconnecting perhaps the, the telephone line, right? Impatience kills. It leads to destruction. Patience, Savlanut on the other hand, that sustains. That sustains the world. It sustains relationships. There were times in the Torah when it seemed that God was ready to give up on us. But Moses, in a way, bore the burden and said, no, God, blame me. Blame me, not them. With the Ten Commandments, for example, all but two are in the second person plural, if you look at them. Uh, sorry, second person singular, if you look at them, because the tradition says that those eight out of the ten were given to Moses alone. And according to tradition, some say that this was so because when the Israelites would inevitably mess up and violate these commandments, Moses could remind God that actually God, hey, they didn't hear it from you directly. They heard it from me. So Moses is the only one who actually heard those commandments. So they shouldn't be held accountable. That is quite the burden uh, to bear. So that really does make Moshe one model of a, uh, it shows how leadership actually requires bearing a burden, sometimes not our own. Okay, so again, Moses and God are models of Savlanut, of holding in one's anger, of not lashing out, of standing up for those who need support when one has the power to do so, even if it's uncomfortable. There are many, many, many examples that we could bring even more from Moses. Um, in, in this document here, this presentation, you can look at a few where uh, we see Moses being, being a Savlan, being Moses being uh, patient, having Savlanut. Of course, there's the story of Hillel and Shammai, Beit Hillel, Beit Shammai are sages in the famous story about why was it the case that the, that the school of, of Hillel, oftentimes, the, basically all the time, except for you know, seven or eight cases, that Beit Hillel, that his school of, of thought was the, was the final word when it comes to halakha, Jewish law, over that of their, their intellectual rivals, uh, Beit Shammai. And that's because, why? Because Hillel, well, they was, it says there were nochin ve'aluvin him, that they were calm, composed, they were aluv, they were forbearing. Aluv and saval are very similar words, not etymologically, but in terms of meaning. That they say that, that Beit Hillel was humble, that they were humble and they let Beit Shammai speak. Can you imagine we, if we ever watch presidential debates, right? It's so hard for people to let other people speak and not interrupt. It's so hard to let people speak and not interrupt because it's really uncomfortable when you feel like, no, 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 no. What they're saying is not true. Oh, no, 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 no. What I have to say is so much more important or so much smarter or better. It's my turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. Beit Hillel was the opposite. No matter how strongly Beit Shammai might have disagreed with their position, they bit their tongue. They bit their tongue. They let Beit Shammai speak. And strategically, that was a good move because then you know what your opposition says. But on, on some level, that merited them to actually have the Jewish law of halacha to be in accordance with them because they allowed others to speak. They were willing to sit with that discomfort. So what are a few ways we can practice savlanut? I put together like 10 or 11 examples. I'm curious to hear your own. So. Here are a few. First and foremost, 
We need to recognize when we are getting, and you don't have to write this down. I see some of you writing this down. You can write it down. You're welcome to write it down, but you have this document here for forever, however you want it. Right now we're on slide 146. I've just been adding and adding and adding from all of our sessions together. First and foremost, we have to recognize when we are starting to get impatient or angry. Maybe that's our heart starting to race. Maybe it's an inner monologue that's starting to talk to us in bad ways that starts developing. We have to develop a, a sense of mindfulness here to just be aware and notice what are those sensations of anger or frustration of impatience that I feel coming on, Oops, that I feel coming on. That's one, simply noticing, mindfulness. Another approach is to fake it till we make it. This is, uh, this is actually related to heat lam dut in a lot of ways. Heat lam dut, we said, is a beginner's mindset. It's also always practicing. So the way Rabbi Jaffe expresses it is if I'm waiting in line at the grocery store and it's taking way too long and I'm starting to get a little, a little antsy, it's not that I have to pretend, it's not that I have to be a patient person in order to act out patiently. I can at least ask myself, how would a patient person feel right now? How would a patient person act right now? And then trying to do that. And it gives us an out because it's not that we're, we're not that, I mean, we're faking it till we make it, but we're not, we're not, um, but it, but it, but it should, it should avoid any sense of imposter syndrome because we admit to ourselves, we're just practicing. We're just acting like somebody else in this moment and we're fully aware of it. So those of us who get angry know that when we do a different side of us comes up, we can become a different person. So, uh, and it's generally not the person we want to become. We want to become a more patient person. So let's try and play that role play that part at least uh, in that moment. Another, another, uh, another method, don't run away from confrontation or don't ignore differences between you and your friends or loved ones. It's so easy to just ignore it. Patience is a tool. It's a tool to help us strengthen relationships. We can't ignore the differences that are there and they are there. Rather than ignoring differences, rather than ignoring tension, we should lean into it as, uh, as people are wont to say these days. Lean into it, acknowledge it's there. Feel the discomfort, sit with it. And if you have something you need to say, if you need to push back and you need the other person to know that you're not okay with something, that's great. You should feel empowered to do so, but just make sure, think a second before you get there, do you need to cool off a little bit? Is what I'm saying now, is it coming from hot anger or is it cool anger? I believe they say about Rav Yisrael Salanter, founder of the Musar movement, we talked about the first couple sessions, that he had a special, special outfit he wore, his special angry person's outfit. Whenever he would feel angry, he wouldn't respond until he would put on his special outfit. Only once he put on his outfit, I don't know what it looked like, we can imagine, only when he put on his outfit would he feel comfortable expressing that anger. And you can probably imagine that chances are, by the time he changed his clothes and put on this new outfit, he expresses anger, but probably in a cooler way than he would have if he would have done it right in that moment. Now, we don't need to go out to uh, Nordstrom Rack and buy a new outfit uh, for our angry moments, uh, but just to have at least that mindset, that, that cooling off um, is something that we can be intentional about. Other approaches here from the Musar literature, practice chesed with those with whom we disagree, whose choices we don't necessarily approve of. We can rebuke them all we want and all we need to, but don't let the fountain of chesed run dry. When we don't withhold chesed, but rather give it lovingly, even to people we're in conflict with, that helps balance our responses to them internally and externally. Yes, thank you, Judy. Great point about the dissent caller. Yes, that does help us become, um, you know, our, our really our outfits do change um, our mindsets um, in ways. Um, I know also there are ideas about having Shabbat clothes. If you want to embody a Shabbat spirit, Maybe there are certain clothes or certain shoes or certain makeup or certain glasses or certain hair products you only use on Shabbat. Um, externals, externals matter. We should be patient with ourselves. This gets back to this idea of self-compassion that just as we wouldn't want somebody else to rush us or lash out at us if we were frustrating them, we'd want them to probably talk to us softly and calmly and lovingly. We should try to behave the same way when we're frustrated by ourselves or disappointed in ourselves. Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman of Bretzlov says, we're supposed to sweeten our anger with compassion. Whenever you feel angry towards yourself, towards others, think of what's that missing ingredient? Oh, the missing ingredient is compassion. Let me introduce it to my anger. 
see how that affects things. Don't despair when you lose your cool. It happens. We all, it all happens to all of us. I mess up all the time. We just need to move slow, celebrate the small victories when we successfully exhibit patience and not despair when we actually fail. And that's okay because it's part of the process. Um, I'll just say a couple others and then, we'll, and then we'll open it up to the floor. We should really try hard to accept others' imperfections. I guess that sounds a little weird, right? Because I'm assuming somebody else is imperfect. I mean, I'm, we are certainly, we have to accept our own imperfections and acknowledge them, but also be accepting of others when we see them. Rav Wolby puts it this way. He says that one should know that it's the nature of a person and one must be at peace with that, that people are imperfect, but not merely externally, that, that we must be okay with it, not merely externally, but that we must not be angry with them. Instead, we should accept them as they are with a full heart. And know, he says to the reader, know that you yourself, you're not perfect either. And that other person definitely knows that. They know your imperfections and your vices, and nevertheless, they've come to terms with it. And finally, let's just go with giving calm, sensitive feedback. How hard is it? It can be hard, but it's something to think about. The words that we use, the tone that we use when we are disagreeing with other people or when we need other people to act in a certain way, can we do it in a calm, sensitive way and avoid harsh language? If we do it with harsh language, it's not going to be received well. And it would probably lead to more strained relations. And Ramban Nachmanidi says we should accustom ourselves to speak gently to all people at all times. This, he says, is a protection from anger. And now we'll open it up. Just wanted to say one last thing. Um, I was reading about a, uh, uh, an article with, a, with an orthodox, about an Orthodox businessman, a very successful businessman, and they asked him, you know, what's your key to success? And he wasn't talking about patience, but I think this is a very relevant patience teaching. He says, we have two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, one mouth, one tongue. He says, my practice is to listen and observe more than I speak. I think that's just general good guidance for us to think about. Um, oftentimes patience, impatience does, and anger does become expressed uh, through words. And if we think about the power of, of watching and observing before speaking, that might actually help us control our anger in some ways. And when we feel hot anger to, tra to transform that into cool anger. Um, and of course, on the other side, to increase our sense of patience and savlanut in our ability to bear these uncomfortable burdens calmly and with endurance. So let me stop there and, and open to the floor. Um, the floor is yours. For any questions, any reflections, um, or if you yourself uh, struggle with patience or, 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 uh, or can share a victory, a victory story if you have of, of moments where you felt not so patient and you've actually developed a bit more patience. We are, we are, we are all sharing and all flexible here. Well, uh, Rabbi Lauren, I'll say I'm, I'm glad you mentioned mindfulness um, because I adopted sort of like a meditation practice about five, six years ago, just daily breathing, nothing even like crazy, just sort of following, observing my breath. And it was almost like just patience just na and joy, I'll say that too, just sort of naturally arose just from slowing my mind down. And I realized actually how occupied it was with so much unnecessary things and angst and frustrations and anxieties that just the act of slowing down allowed me to sort of just have this natural reservoir of just inner joy. But then also like when everything like was like, you know, raining hellfire and brimstone around me, like I was able to sort of still be in this place of joy and very patient and calm and understanding. And it was actually very good. So I was very happy to see that you mentioned that because I know for me, like when I think like, oh, well, what does, what would a person act who has this quality? I may not necessarily know unless I have sort of a mentor or somebody else who I've seen exhibit that quality, but just slowing my mind down almost just like could have saved me years of like, you know, therapy and counseling. I would save a lot of money if I had just started meditating sooner. Thank you, Alex. Um, yeah, that, that I think, I think therapy is still important, but mindfulness also, as you say, meditation is very, is very helpful in slowing down. And we can think about patience um, and, and the split second it takes between 
there's oftentimes a split second between patience and impatience and how that one split second can really be determinative um, of our relationships with other people. When we explode with that impatience, that can be very destructive. And when we take that second to actually to, to, to focus, to breathe, to calm, that can actually be transformative in the other direction. So, so these small actions, which don't take that much time, um, although they need to be done intentionally, can, can have very, very large impacts. It seems to me that this is a, there's going to have to be a balancing between Zerizut and Savlanut. Because Savlanut seems like, I, I would analogize it besides patience to, to maturity. And Zerizut is the enthusiasm of youth. So balancing the two makes, makes for, um, I, I guess you have to figure it out in each situation. But if you have too much sablanut, you're not exercising zirizu. I think that's a brilliant insight, Judy, and I, I think you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Rebbe Shmuley. I see you're you're agreeing. Um, did you want to share a reaction? Uh, I had one reaction there, and I had one other uh, thought. Uh, one reaction there is the question of privilege. Who has the privilege to be patient? Um, for a white person to say, we're gonna eradicate racism, you know, it'll just take some time. Someone else, no, no, I need it now, or anti-Semitism. Someone's like, oh, if a Christian says, we're gonna, it's gonna take some time, be patient on anti-Semitism going away, right? Or in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, as you may have heard during this session, the session, the ceasefire was reached. Um, and, you know, who, what is it, who, who, who can be patient and who can't? And so, so there is this interesting question around privilege. Um, and then one, one tool I've been thinking a lot about in cultivating my own patience is sitting in deep gratitude when I'm asking of other people's time, um, feeling uh, that I'm asking someone else to be patient for me and um, feeling like I have to pay that forward. Thank you, Roshmuli. I, I know just to, to, your, to your first point there about privilege and and, you know, calm, you know, just be patient, let the process, you know, like evolution versus revolution and, and what happens when people are dying and people's rights are being infringed upon. And I think that's why I really wanted to start uh, with the conversation more about anger um, and resistance um, that, that within Savlanud itself, um, there, there's only so much that we are asked to bear. And some things are, are, are too much. Um, and, and we, and, and it's not, it's not ours to bear. Um, it's, it's, it's enough to, to throw it off. And, but, but when we are acting, perhaps, uh, as Judy said, with Zerizut, um, we're doing it though, with the, the understanding that what we're doing is with this, this chivya, this, this life force, this construction, um, in mind. So I think that there is this balance of knowing, like, what is a reasonable amount to bear, but when and, and what's a reasonable amount of insult to accept and but when it comes to to certain violations of human rights we are not a pacifist religion uh judaism um by and large we're not warmongering either um but we believe in justice and we believe in in, in doing justice justly um so as long as i think we have that in the back of our minds um yeah, I think that's, 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 I think what I would say to that point. Um, I know of activists have many different theories of change for how to make, you know, how to change the world um, and how to navigate these politics of power. Um, I believe in our own one-on-one -on -one relationships with other people. I do see those as a little bit different, um, different rules construct, you know, I think uh, managing those, I think different rules apply to our personal relationships. Um, as opposed to more structural, um, you know, governmental, although maybe some people might disagree with that. Yeah, Judy, a hungry person can't be asked to be more patient. And we also say that, that an imprisoned person can't free themselves from prison, right? When, when we do have opportunities to, to help other people um, who can't, you know, help themselves in those moments, um, yeah we're asked to, to step in. Yeah, please, Randy. Um, so just uh, when you were saying that, uh, you know, 
someone wants something now or that, you know, they, you know, I want it my way. I want it this way. So where does, does compromise come into this midah, you know, where, I mean, it could be patience where, you know, you want it now, but if the other person doesn't want to give it to you, then you compromise or, or is that another midah or where does that come into play? It's a great question. I'm thinking, but I also want, I want to hear if anybody else has any any reactions to Randy's question or thoughts. Hmm. I, I think it might you might have to see the good in what the other person is offering, um, and recognize their you know have have loving kindness towards what they have to say. If they're dead wrong, you're not required to compromise, but you, you can't compromise the fact that they're another human being worthy of respect. I don't know if that makes sense to you. You're nodding a little bit, but I, does that make yeah, any sense, Randy? I mean, it's like, like when you say like, if the other person is wrong, well, what if it's an opinion? You know, you, you both have two different opinions. So no one's right and no one's wrong it's just different opinions um i don't know it's complicated <laughs> <laughs> just to amplify the importance of the question this is, feels to me like if i had to make a list of top five challenges in relationships i'd say this is one of the top five like how to be patient with each other because people are changing at different paces, getting ready to go out at different times, like arriving early, late. And it's really hard to be patient uh, for each other. And if we could learn this, boy, could we heal the world one house at a time. Yeah, I agree. And I think, and I think if we all were able to, to, you know, when it came to moments of anger as well, um, if we were able to, to channel the proper, um, you know, constructive forms of anger, I think as well, that would be, that would be quite a world. Um, you know, people do talk about, it. I think it's really hard to experience this um, personally, but I do know that people talk about how when organizations or individuals are told, you know, what you're doing is not okay. What you're doing is advancing, you know, a certain type of, of agenda I don't support or I think is, is not good. The framing that people are using these days is that's a form of care that's a form of care because I trust you. And because I have faith in you in a certain way that um, when I'm calling you out or when I'm telling you you're doing something wrong, if I didn't like you and if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't do that. Um, but because I am doing that, it's a sign of love um, and care. I, I have a hard time personally feeling cared and loved for when I'm called out. Um, but I do at least appreciate that language, um, because to me, it does take a little bit of the sting out and that ultimately like we are trying to create a better world um, and that, you know, it's not personal um, and that, yeah, somebody wants to be on my team. Like, I feel like if, if we are able to, to channel um, our anger and frustration and resistance in that way, that would be a nice world, um, but not everybody is, is as kind. Um, you know, there are certain authorities or figures in the world that like will not return kindness with kindness. Um, and those are, are very, very difficult situations to deal with. But Rabbi, don't you think that if, if we're receiving criticism from someone who, who feels that it's out of love and we receive it with hot, out of that, that they have, hostile intentions or that they're cutting us down for some reason, don't we have the right to say, I, you say you're doing this out of love. Could you explain to me a little bit better because I'm not understanding it with love. I'm receiving it as an attack. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's great advice for us all um, to ask the questions, to ask those questions. Yeah. I think, I think that question is absolutely valid. No one can tell me how to feel. And even if you tell me how you intend something, that doesn't, like they say, impact matters more than intention. So 
So yeah, I think that question is such an important question to ask and doesn't get asked enough. I was reading somewhere I'm preparing for today, I think that one way to practice patience is to ask more questions, was um, to ask more questions rather than make declarative statements. I don't remember where I read that, but I feel like I read it. And if I didn't read it, then this came out of today's session. So that's great. Amazing. Thank you, Rabbi Berman, for another great session. We look forward to session eight next week. Um, can you give us a heads up from what's the media next week? Yes. It's, it's uh, ironic given that I'm, I'm like, what am I doing next week? Next week, I believe we are going to be doing Seder, not the Passover Seder, but order. Um, uh, we're going to be doing order next week. And then the week after that, which will be our ninth session, where we're doing Emunah and Mitachon, or faith and trust. Uh, so next week will be about Seder, about living in ordered, uh, an ordered life, um, how oftentimes the outside, uh, how my room is not necessarily the nicest room, but how oftentimes our outside order does uh, uh, say something about our internal order as well. Amazing. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Have a great